Commanders, and welcome to episode 294 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your house host, Commander Phoenix Defire, uh, otherwise known as Colin Ford, Chief Archivist of Lave State. And joining me in this rather packed Orange Sidewinder bar for this episode, we have our um, Head of Health and Safety, uh, Commander Aid Levice, that's Ben Moss. And I'll be providing your bricks and mortar for Colin's house this evening. Okay. No clue what that is. Uh, we have oh, our chief bar steward, Grant Psychoka. Hello. <laughs> we have our inhuman resources director, Commander Shan. Hello. We also have uh, a rare appearance by the station commander himself. That's uh, Commander, uh, well, Alan Stroud. Hi, Colin. Ben, Hello. when you have to explain a joke, it's not funny. I know. So that's why I try and move on so much before Ben tries it's to... It's just because you're in denial, Colin. Uh-huh. And it's not a river uh, in Egypt. Uh, and I have to apologise to our guest, Kai Zen, for uh, the usual, um, well, wave radio-ness that, that, that happens. Hello, uh, hello. Welcome. Filthy, hello, hello. <laughs> filthy colonial here. No, hang on. You're the filthy colonial scum. Yes, um, that's what I said. All oh, right. Uh, filthy yes. colonial reporting. To, right. to, yes. to be fair, to be fair, I can I can claim that too as and it's it's pertinent to this evening as a as you know a, a member of a family that's descended from the Norman Conquest. So you mm-hmm. know I did um, I did invade England uh, along with with dear William about a thousand years ago. Oh, so you're the ones that did it the other way around. Good yeah, on you. yeah. Good on yeah. you. We we killed Harold and you know Harry. Yeah. Moore. he's he's the last ones that managed it. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you wish, um, you can join Ben because he's flying about in open. Where about again, Ben? Oh, well, yes, I am. I'm actually over in Pleon at the moment, um, looking at the pretty sights there because there's lots, lots of pretty rings, lots of pr- pretty white suns, and and bars. Mm. There's, there's, there's bars here too. I like the bars. Ah, well, um, if you can't join Ben in game, you can also join us in the Twitch chat channel, which you can access through laveradio.com slash live, click on the live chat, or you can go straight to twitch.tv slash laveradio. Um, so what we'll do is we'll quickly go around the the, uh, the crew, see what they've been up to for the last, well, couple of weeks, because we took last week off. Um, so I think one of the most important things that we need to know is, um, Shan, how's your space car? My space car is wonderful. It is, yeah. It, although it is a bit too nannying, it's banned me three times now from uh, autopilot. It's banned you from autopilot? Yes. You can't leave it like that. What do you mean, ban? Well, your 
I was um, for for people who you not know. Last week, I took delivery of a Tesla Model Three performance, and so on the Wednesday, um, we went out in it to make sure our eyes were okay to drive it. <laughs> and um, anyway, so you set this thing up to auto drive, and it keeps between the lines and keeps the speed limit, and generally. Every sort of minute or so, it says, move your hand on the wheel to let me know, you know, you're still paying attention. So you, you sort of like, it's almost like a possessive girlfriend, because <laughs> unless you touch it in certain ways, he doesn't believe you're there. <laughs> did, did you have that problem with lots of girlfriends? Uh, I've Too many years ago. Anyway, um, anyway so but I, I was talking to Mrs. Shan and um, generally sort of like, gesticulating my hands and you know, just demonstrating of the auto drive. And uh, I missed too many of the are you really there prompts. And then the screen flashed red and said autopilot not available for rest of journey. And oh, basically, basically, if you mess around with it too much, it bans you from using autopilot. Because obviously, <laughs> you know, it, it thinks you, you obviously don't deserve to be driven around in this thing. So that was met with much hilarity from Mr. Sham, um, as this thing banned me from autopilot. Anyway, so you stop and you put it in the park, and then he carried on the way. On the way back, um, again, I was on the auto drive thing, and uh, a car suddenly shot into, uh, joined the dual carriageway from a slip road without looking. So I had I accelerated around it, you know, to get out of the way to avoid an accident. And because I'd sped up above a certain number of the autopilot, it accused me of trying to be a bad boy and seeing how fast the car could drive on its own and banned me from autopilot again. So if you speed up above a certain number with autopilot on, it says, no, you're mucking around too much. Not having that. You're a bad person. And stops you taking, stops you driving autopilot, which again was meant with much hilarity. <laughs> and I think that that's um... well, obviously, um... obviously, what it doesn't want, it doesn't. I can kind of get it because it doesn't want you to go to Germany and drive <laughs> at hundred and, and see how fast the car will drive on its own. You know, because the, the car will do one hundred and sixty plus miles an hour. And they don't obviously don't want people in Germany seeing if they can do 160 plus miles an hour and have the car drive itself. So, what about doing things to your parents-in-law? Oh yeah, that, 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 that was great. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Did did that also get you banned? Mm, not from the car. It got me told off by Mr. Shan. That just got you banned by Mr. Shan. Well, well, what it was, because I took, I took mum and dad out in it and gently riding around. Now, now this thing is a complete monster of a car. Uh, I mean, it'll do 60 in 3.2 seconds and, you know, it's whatever. So, obviously, I had to demonstrate to my dad, with my mum in the car as well, how quick this car would go. And there was much shrieking in the car when I did that a few times. And anyway, uh, so I pulled back into the car park opposite uh, their house and uh, they were in the passenger seat in the back and I said uh, hold on mum I just want to check something so I jumped out of the car with my phone in, in hand um, and proceeded to then use the summon 
feature to summon it around the car park and let it drive itself around the car park. And I could hear the shrieks from the car as it was driving around because they were completely freaked out by the fact this car was driving on its own around the car park. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there well, is one other I'm obvious question, the... Dan. Has yeah. your car tried to fire you yet? Or has you, have you fired the car, your car's autopilot? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's weird because it's a completely different way of having to think about driving. Because the faster you go, the slower your journey. So it's a balancing act. And this is where it actually appeals to the min-maxer in me. Um, because if you, if you go a million miles an hour everywhere, you run the battery down really quick. So you have to spend longer charging it up. So it's a balance between finding the optimum speed and the optimum range. So no, it hasn't fired me yet. But talking about firing, you know, uh, people say, oh, oh, Sean, what's it like, um, you know, to be in it when you do the launch? You know, in Battlestar Galactica, when they're in the Viper and they get shot out the tubes in the Viper, it's like, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's like there's no, there's no gears in it. There's no spooling. It's just like a catapult. I would imagine it's but like a naval aviator being shot off a carrier. Right. That, I mean, that that makes me feel incredibly jealous. Um, <laughs> Commander PsychoCal, how have you been? Yeah, I've been fine. Um, just dying today because of <clears throat> the pollen count being high, and I went out and did the weekly shop this morning, and it was, it was a very different experience to last week, and uh, rather unpleasant entirely. But... Um, <clears throat> I suppose we've got to progress at some point, but um, yeah, God, how, how, what, what is it about the world that makes you start to think, am I the only person doing this? What's, am I, uh, did, did I miss the memo? I mean, I missed the memo on the bloody bin collection, so that's great. I've now got a pile of bloody rubbish for another week and a half. But um, yeah, I got home and just spent the whole day basically hiding from the nature. And trying to keep all the windows shut in a dark room with a cat. And then I'm like, oh no, I'm allergic to you too. Get out. But um, cats don't behave. Um, so yeah, it's been a pretty rough day. But we've had um, yeah, a good wee while, a good wee week. Found a um, board game um, love over the last couple of weeks. And um, have stumbled across. Always wanted to pick up the Firefly game. But I'd heard mixed reviews and things. I thought, well, it was too much money to... Take a gamble on it, and so you go to your, you know, your, the the equivalent of your dodgy pal Dave, who's got some version of a board game he printed out, but a slightly more digital way, which of course is Tabletop Simulator, the dodgy neighbour friend slash printer outer of games, and um, had a go with Firefly on that, and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really good fun. So we then tried Marauders and Merchants, which is like uh, Sid Meier's Pirates, but a board game, and really fun. And then the other day we tried Dead of Winter, which is a zombie colony uh, cooperative betrayer version game. And it really was, again, quite a, 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 an involved game. It took quite a while, but it was a lot of fun as well. So, yeah, I've been doing board games the last couple of weeks just to get away from the digital bit rates of um, modern day games, which were just not cutting it. And that's it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> ben, what have you been up to? I guess the biggest thing I 
I would say I've been up to is I watched all but about eight hours of the 26 on 26, 28 hour SpaceX Crew Number 2 launch. So that was a lot of fun. Um, so all the way from suit up to them getting off the off the Dragon and going on to the ISS. Um, really enjoyed that, actually. Uh, just It was lovely just seeing sort of seeing the over-the-shoulder shots as they're going up in the Crew Dragon. And, like, the pilots... I could just picture Shad like this. Like, they just, like, got the hands on their belts going, la di da di da just as this thing's accelerating off at Mach 2 or something crazy. Um, but that, that, that took all my sense of humour. Um, apart from that, I've been... Went off and gave some blood today. Um, got a shout-out from the blood guys on Twitter about that. So that was interesting, I suppose. Else. That's really about it. Nothing. Everything else has just been playing various video games of various sorts, um, surviving really. Did they give you a cup of tea and a biscuit after giving? Blood? No, they're they're not giving cups of tea out anymore. Uh, let me. I'm no. Oh. Right, this pissed me off. You're getting me on. You're getting me on something here now. Hang on. Let me find this tweet um, message. Um. Uh, basically, I can't can't find it. But basically, I got a message from the blood guys today saying, "Dear Ben, when for the for the time being, we're not giving out cups of tea and coffee after you've given blood uh, because of social distancing concerns." Yet, the whole reason for them giving out cups of tea and coffee is to get you to sit down for five ten minutes and have a cup of tea and coffee before you bug so, off and so then how do they, the car park. So hold on, Ben. How do they stab you? It's a social distancing. Do you like have a six feet long needle or something? <laughs> uh, no. So um, before you even get into the area, there's somebody basically saying, "Have you been anywhere near any kind of COVID thing? Do you have any reason to spe- suspect you have it? Do piss off." So why um, don't we give you a tea and biscuit then? I have no idea, but I think it's basically because instead of having enough room for eight people round a table all sharing a cup of tea and a biscuit at the end. They've got, like, four seats, um, obviously, you know, two, two, like, a whole big table length apart. Uh, so it's, it's like, you you know, you watch these sort of historical dramas and it's like one person at one end of this massive long table and then other person down the other end of the high table and they're trying to hold a conversation. Uh, and that's kind of what it was like, sort of. So you know they force you to go on and have a glass of lemonade, but no tea, no tea or biscuits because no tea anyway because it's a hot drink and they want you to get out even though the whole point is making you sit there for five minutes and not pass out in the car park, which struck me as a bit arse about tit, but that's the way everything is at the moment. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. Um, right, uh, we'll welcome from Elite Week, um, Commander Kai Zen. How have you been since the last time you've been? Hello, hello. I have been fantastic, thank you. Or is nobody going to mention the fact that Ben seems to be some sort of a furry or like a wolf or something in his stream there? Is that Ben that we're looking at on the screen, right? Uh, we just try and ignore these kind of things with Ben's. Uh, I, I, well, I salute him for his awesome use of a very cool that I, I think he's using that modulation thing that. FaceTime thing that people are supposed to be using where you can spoof Zoom meetings to make it look like you're 
in his suit or whatever. I, com- I completely blame Colin for this. It, Colin uh, went off and got like, a Xenia rabbit or something. It doesn't look okay. like Ben at all. The fox. I mean, if Ben was going to be a rabbit, you're like a hamster or something with puffy cheeks or something. I, I, I always think of Ben as looking foxy, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, what have I been doing in-game? I've been working on a weird little project, uh, and then out of game, I have been, like the rest of the world, following the SpaceX NASA launch, uh, like a good chunk of the world, uh, laughing like crazy while watching... Um, Space Force on Netflix, and uh, no no spoilers. And I have been enjoying, uh, quite possibly, I've been enjoying many, many awesome videos uh, of Elite Dangerous, uh, from, from the David Braben interview to other things, including a very awesome top shift that uh, covers fleet carriers. We got to find out <laughs> who does those and get that guy in here to talk about them. Ah, yeah. Okay. Fair enough, then. <laughs> um, well, we'll welcome back um, Commander Strauss. Ah, it's been a quite a while. So, what have you been up to? Oh, tans. Oh dear. This could this could go on. We'll we'll try and keep it to the cliff notes and uh, and keep it short. So, um, over the summer, I'm teaching. So, uh, I'm on the um, I'm on the, essentially I'm on the, the teaching program. We have a summer semester and uh, this year it's my turn to run it. So, um, and one of my colleagues is on maternity. So she's the course leader and uh, she's away. So I'm, I'm covering for her and I'm managing to convert everything to online lectures, which is, is fun. So that's my weekly job. Um, but during the, during the, the sort of the time uh, the time off and the you know the time away from Coventry at this point in time, uh, we've been you know we've been doing what pretty much everybody I guess is doing is kind of you look at all the the jobs around your house and you start to think let's get a few of these done. So um, we've I've caught up with writing the sequel to my book, which is due out in September. So Fearless is it's out in September. I've got the sequels now more than halfway, which is great. Um, we got the cover quotes in. Last week, we have some amazing writers who've agreed to read my work and then provide a cover quote, um, you know, on what they think. So I've got some some wonderful and and that is really nice. You know, you when you find someone who you really respect, who's internationally respected as a writer, who reads your book and goes, loved it, you know, great, really liked it. Yeah, sure, I'll send you a quote to your publisher. That's that's really really awesome. Um, so that's been going on. Uh, then we did, we hosted a couple of weeks ago, I hosted in this lovely room, I hosted the British Science Fiction Association Awards for best novel, best shorter fiction, best nonfiction and best artwork of the year. So these are, these are internationally regarded science fiction award ceremony. And as chair of the association, this is my first year hosting the awards. Um, and of course, usually they're at EasterCon. But because EasterCon was cancelled, they had to be in my spare room. So I put together a nice video of me doing the awards with the awards and, you know, and then got little speeches from some of the, the people who won. Some amazing books on there in terms of, of winners. So, you know, I, I heartily recommend some of those. Uh, Children of Ruin is, is incredible, which was the, you know, the best novel. And um, This Is How You Lose the Time War, best shorter fiction, incredible piece of work. Um, so yes, yeah, so we've done that. Um, 
What else have we done? Got a short story expect, accepted to a, an international science fiction anthology that's being published in China and being published in the UK and the US. That's pretty pretty mind blowing. That was quite um, quite incredible. Uh, yeah, um, painted a lot, um, made a lot of little craft projects. We cancelled LaveCon. We're going to talk a bit more about that. Obviously, we're going to have a virtual LaveCon instead. I've got some some news on the the merchandising package that. Um, that people are going to get and which uh, there's a little bit of time left to sign up for. So I'll talk a bit later about that if, uh, if people want me to. Oh man, you know, that's, that's just, that's just scratching, scratching the surface. There's so much going on. Um, I've got a, you know, if Grant doesn't have a bathroom update, I, you know, I've got a DIY update. I can probably, you know, cover it. If, um, if, if we're desperate for a, a DIY fix, we've, we've done a few things there too. Well, apparently it's it, Grant has a working bathroom. So I think, Think we're all right. So, <laughs> um, it, just, it just needs well, all the other bits, you know. It's it's functional, isn't it? I mean, if you really wanted to, you could maybe, you know, turn rotate one of the taps because well, they're not fixed to the wall yet. So you could rotate it up the way and make a makeshift shower. That would work. Kind of a chin wash, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a wall wash. But other than that, yeah, there's no there's no updates yet. That um. Hopefully, in the near future, we have got new hope. Uh, we're just trying to get our kids to go out with tradespeople that are capable of finishing this job for us. Um, so far, <laughs> we've got one of them set up. So, just Dylan, if you can uh, just you know go out there and I don't know if you want to go for a builder, <laughs> just whatever you can get, we'll take. <laughs> You want to go you want to get Dylan to go after a strapping lastig and carry bricks. Yeah. Well you know, we, we don't presume either way it's fine. <laughs> Equal opportunities employment and all that. Um yeah, the uh um just the reminder there, Grant, um the other thing we did is we we decided to take the plunge on Disney Plus. Um so which we're not going to have for very long in that we've got enough streaming services here. But um, as part of the kind of, I'm sure everybody is having a bit of a watching marathon occasionally and going, okay, let's, let's watch some stuff that we really want to watch. We've gone through Star Wars from basically trying to be as completionist as possible. So we did the first trilogy. We then did all of the Clone Wars, all seven seasons, which I've never seen. The final season of the Clone Wars is incredible. Those last four episodes, if you've not watched them, they are amazing. Then we we you know then we've we've start, started into rebels, into all the other you know stuff. We've we basically we we we've got up to Empire Strikes Back, so we're doing pretty well. Um, and we're literally watching every piece of material that we can. One thing we did add, and I will recommend this to anyone who's doing a Star Wars completionist run: when you get to A New Hope. And there's the fight between Darth Vader and Obi Wan Kenobi. Go on mm-hmm. YouTube and find the reimagined scene. Yeah. yeah, what is it? Scene thirty-seven. Yeah, that, or scene thirty-nine, I think it is. It, but it's the reimagined version. It's ace. Yeah, it's so much better. Um, yeah. So just pause the, you know, pause Disney Plus, flick another browser window open, go on YouTube, find that, watch that, go back to your film. Best thing you can do. Bring I've, a box I've of always... tissues. Bring a box of tissues for the Rise of Skywalker and the Last Jedi because they'll make you cry in sheer misery. <laughs> see, see, they didn't for me um, at all. Um, the 
the Clone Wars makes you go back to Revenge of the Sith and actually care. Um, that's quite interesting because mm. you know the the fact that those episodes go through those events and you know that final season is run synchron- uh, synchronously with um, Revenge of the Sith and they make you actually care about what's happening to Anakin Skywalker and stuff. That was pretty incredible. I you know I turned off a Star Wars after those three films. I went you know I'm not watching any more. And then Disney bought it, and I went, oh, all right, you know, I'll give it a go. Actually, I quite like the last trilogy, so, you know, so that was that was fine. Uh, but we haven't got back to them yet. The, the film that always makes me cry, and we did do a completionist run of this, I, I get to Hobbiton in Fellowship of the Ring, and I'm in tears. And the reason I'm in tears is because I've wanted to see that film. You know, I've wanted to see a film version of, 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 of Tolkien stuff for so long. Um, I just I'm in floods as soon as I get to ten minutes in, which is just ridiculous. But you know, it is what it so, is. Yeah. So for me, the Mandalorian. Oh yeah. Rescued Star. Sorry, you said that Mandalorian. You're breaking up on me, Shan. No, no. I, I said that Mandalorian, and then you made an exclamation of "Oh yeah!" So I was kind of waiting yeah. for the follow-up. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, I loved it. I loved it. Loved the Mandalorian. I think it was uh, incredible. Right. Well, um, moving on from all that, um, just quickly, uh, let's see. I have now joined uh, a squadron to, to handle with the power play. I've now been play- playing power play for 13 weeks and really still enjoying it. I'm beginning to wonder if I've turned into a masochist, but it does seem to be working for me. Uh, and, uh, of course, my other, my main character um, it is still mailing away in it's not going to have enough by the time uh, by the time next week, but um, I guess I guess that's that. Uh, just to keep Shan happy, the bunny is he's hopping around quite happily, so there's nothing to worry about there. Um, now that we've gone around um, all. Hold on, Colin. It's it's, it's hopping around that you've seen. You don't know what it gets up to when you're not watching it. It's Schrodinger's Zeno. Right. <laughs> Alan, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I just thought I'd start reintroducing the dot system. We appear to have lost it since I was last on. Um, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the point of you know Grant saying, oh, he's not going to reintroduce content. Um, you know, if you if you need stuff, you know, I've got about six different readings from different places I've done as part of the uh, the lockdown. So, um, yeah, more than happy to give you a bedtime story you can add in. It'll send everyone to sleep. You know, um, I'm I'm guaranteed with that. Um, right? Are we are we ready to proceed? We're we're over in America. We're all good. Let's try it again. Right. Okay. Um, we've also had a recommendation for Star Wars Resistance as well, which happens between episodes 6 and 7, and then no, runs concurrently with 7. No, it's between 6 and 9, isn't it? Nope. It runs between 6 and 7. And Sorry. probably 8 as well. And when okay, you do okay. a Star Wars marathon, do you do them in chronological order? In, in, in other words, 4, 5, 6, and whatever, or do you do the machete order? No, it's chronological. There's, there's no other order. Ooh, that's fighting talk. Yeah. Oh, I think so. <laughs> for a diff- for a different podcast, you know, quite clearly. Um... 
Yeah, well, yeah, let's let's go on. Let's let's carry on before things get a little bit silly. Um, right. In the development news um, or what have the devs said this week, um, we've had quite a few items turn up uh, as opposed to last week, which there was nothing. Um, so the competition life on a fleet carrier uh, came to a close last Monday, uh, the Monday, and uh, results were announced on Friday. Um, we have we we have to point this out. We have uh, a wonderful poem by Commander Thr- this Thrash, um, and it, that was placed in between fleet carrier artwork by Commander Beetlejude. Uh, that came in as as one of the the joint winners uh, we have uh, commander Aaron Chad who had a scene from an upcoming part of their elite dangerous theme animated scene um, and we had commander uh, jet Brodo what did what did jet Brodo su- supply not quite sure but he supplied something and frontier liked it yeah um, in the video uh, I should point out, actually, there were three categories, which was uh, written, video, and other. Um, so this, this is the, the, that was the other. Um, in the written section, we had third uh, Commander Saturn V Rocket V, a, who were Commander Auditor's fleet carrier to make a jump. Uh, the second one was Commander Wetwire, who, with a child, um, where Avid straps in for a fleet carrier jump. And the first written prize went to Commander Moon. Uh, a fleet carrier's owner wins over his crew by being nasty to other commanders. Um, and then finally, we have the video set, uh, which we had uh, Commander Universal, who's doing a comedic skit where uh, an authority vessel is sent to apprehend a fleet carrier on behalf of a local. If, if you know that it's a lighthouse, then it's pretty much the same. We've got Commander Spatula 007, creating of the Elite Dungus series. He's uh, creates a short with a good detective struggles to navigate around their massive vessel. But I think hands down, an overall winner was Commander Dark Hands, who managed to do a hilarious first-person perspective of a mechanic aboard a fleet. Um, um, he's otherwise known as Mechanic Man, uh, who we've got a uh, link to uh, in the show notes for his uh, YouTube channel. Uh, <laughs> and I must admit, I was I was tickled pink by this one. It was it, it had me. Has anybody else seen the video? Yeah, I've seen them all, and the mechanic man is a very well deserved winner. Mm. Uh, very good use of VR, I'm assuming, to yep. record his his first person perspective, um, tied in with a really funny story as well. It just, it just worked, and it was brilliant, and very well-deserving. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I watched it live. They were all great. Um, Spatulas was amazing. Uh, Mechanic Man was amazing. A lot of the different things was very cool, but what was just as cool to me was almost all of the participants were live in the stream, and as each winner was read out, everybody was like cheering on all of the other participants. They were like, man, yeah, your video was great. And that was just an awesome thing to sort of witness. Yeah, and, and it was actually quite a nice stream, that one. There wasn't much negativity at all on the stream. It, uh, it's nice to actually have one of them where you don't have loads of um, people uh, in the chat. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was a nice one to watch. Um, so in other news, we've actually had uh, the game industry biz, which is... Uh, um, 
a website that has interviewed David Braben uh, uh, over video link about Frontier's move from self-publishing to third-party publishing. There isn't much uh, elite news in there. In fact, Elite's only mentioned a couple of times. But it is interesting to see that uh, David Braben is making an appearance. He hasn't disappeared completely, as opposed to a lot of rumours on the forums. And um, and must admit, when he does mention Elite, he does still sound enthusiastic. Um, anybody else see that? Oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I... Um, I saw it briefly, but I thought it was... I put it in the same category as a sighting of King Yong Bun. So, there you go. Mm. I, don't, I don't think he's ill. I don't think David Braben's that ill, though, do you? <laughs> no? I don't know, you, okay. can, you, can, you, you can tell you can tell how David uh, Braben is, you know, physically and himself. By the nature of the jumpers he wears, you know how so, how like some fish <laughs> change colours. Well, David Braben, it's it's, it's a coloured jumper and stuff. Right. Okay then. It's. I mean, also, I, I still, you know, remember fondly um, and with a rare smile the original um, t-shirt that he wore. If you remember when they first did the, the Elite Dangerous <laughs> oh, t-shirts. Yes. That made him, you know, this huge, big, you know, uh, symbol on it and that made him look like uh, some sort of biker, which I thought was great. I could just sort of see him on his Harley. I thought that was, uh, that was really cool. <laughs> Honestly, the way the, the, the tips of the grip, the griffin was underneath each armpit, wasn't it? <laughs> the badge was huge. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, well, the main news that we've had since uh, since has that they have announced that the carriers are actually coming on June the ninth, which is a week today. Um, they also put in a whole load of little changes in addition to what came out with the beta two patch. Uh, looks like the buttons are going to be made to increase and decrease, like they do elsewhere. Tritium mining will receive further adjustment um, to make it more lucrative. Um, especially evolving subservice mining, which is a change I did like. Um, the credit exploits have been fixed, um, and a bug preventing the transfer of commodities such as Thargoid sensors, Guardian urns, and others and fleet carriers has been resolved. Um, has anybody else uh, uh, tried the new uh, sub mining, or am I the only one that gave that a test? I, I certainly didn't I was I want I just basically loaded cutters <laughs> of um, tritium. Yeah. Well, but I will say is it is a useful change because the um, <clears throat> instead of only getting one bit uh, for every missile you send in there you get two or three which doesn't sound like much, but it does make a difference, and it does make the 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 driller missile, as I like to call it, useful. So, oh, in, sorry, in, I, yeah. Um, I want to ask you earlier, actually, in the what we've been doing this week, mm -hmm. was you actually brought a carrier in the beta in this beta? I did, which we'll get on to probably and, later. I was going to ask how you how you found it, and did Ben buy one as well? Well. I, I, I just quickly, um, I found it all right. Um, I 
I actually got it out to uh, where I wanted it within one day, which was uh, I didn't expect to, and I didn't use up as, as much fuel as I thought I would. So I was able to go almost four thousand um, four thousand light years without having to re because there was a little trick that they didn't tell us about. Uh, I started using it. So moving on from there. Uh, we would just like to put forward another warning uh, about the release next week, and that once fleet carriers go, the triple ice mining hotspots and Baran will go. Now, this is due to changes in the procedural generation because they've added tritium. Now, uh, yeah, I think this is a bit of a sh it's a bit of a shame because it seems like a very large community hub has appeared around Baran and. And the actual system chat makes them is actually makes you feel as if there's there's actually other ships flying about the place, even though you know you're not instancing with them. Has anybody else been at Baran and that adding to the game? No, it should have been nerfed years ago. And not only is the horse bolted, but a whole herd of horses have bolted and have now had baby foals. Um, had foals who have now bolted, so I'm. They should have got rid of it weeks and months ago. That's my grumpy thing over the day. Okay, um, Kai. Yeah, uh, it 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 is interesting. Baranchat is now a thing. If you just say Baranchat, it it means more than just the chat that's going on in Baran. That it's taken on a life like for the old WoW players of like the the Baron's chat. It is its own weird, memey, Chuck Norris-filled sphere of influence. But I would like to point out that there are multiple groups, including the, what is that, the ED Desimon Project, where they have mapped out thousands of rings in all different areas looking for the hotspots. And I would say conservatively within two weeks, but optimistically within a week of the launch and the reshuffle, there will be a new triple hotspot which Baran Chat will move into, and we will now call it whatever chat. So it's not that big a deal. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that big. <laughs> that big. Um, Alan, did you, did you want to jump in? Okay. Sorry, I, I was I was <laughs> muting and unmuting. Sorry, no, I was just. Uh, uh, it, it's nice, I think, any time when when a game introduces anything, and you know, and, and players start to. To start to own it and start to you know to give it a life life of its own um, is always a is always a good thing and you always know particularly with sandbox games you know design is always about the idea of people bringing their own content to something so whatever it is that gives the incentive for people to go somewhere and to see stuff and to you know to look at it then you know all power to to be good for that um, if people are congregating around a region. And it's instigated by something in the game to start with. Okay, sure, you know maybe that'll be removed or something else. But you might find that they'll find new life there. You know they may find um, that there's a there's a particular community reason to to stick around that particular area. I mean, to be honest, that's why we're we're sticking here, right? Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of there was a lot of people that was they're saying what's going to happen after Baranjat? Well, I was thinking, why don't you we all start community hub in a certain place where it's got a decent radio station? You know, <laughs> just dropping a slide. Anyway, 
moving on from there, we have had a couple of uh, community in-game events, which um, uh, we mention every week. Um, the Anti-Xeno Initiative had a major bug hunt over the weekend. Um, they they managed to take out, I think, every single mod in the in the usual way. Um, it does seem that, unfortunately, the uh, the big bug when it it comes to uh, hunting Thargoids, is still there. So it turns out that you targeting Thargoid hearts in a wing is still a problem. And I think Frontier, I don't think they've, they've mentioned anything about a new fix on that. So um, goodness knows what's going to happen. Um, in more positive news, Operation Ida are now working on a new, which is Zil... Oh, good grief. Zilladhubd in which does sound like something out of Black Panther, but um, yeah, that's that's their new uh, new repair type. Um, there was no newsletter this week, uh, but we did have a store update where metallic paint job paint jobs were available for the T10 and for the Mike the Viper Mark IV. Um, I must admit, I did have a look at the paint job for the T10. That actually does look quite good. Which is unusual. I saw them as well, um, Colin. Uh, I, I thought they looked quite good, and I thought, oh wow, if they're out for the T10, maybe they're out for the ship. But alas, they weren't. So I'll have to wait. Yeah, it's it's it is. They have been coming out, I think, with some really nice paint jobs. It's just that uh, I I don't think I've been able to really think, jump on it, and say yes, that's what I. I think once I've got my Imperial Clipper up to looking uh, with its new ship kit looking really, really good, I don't want anything else. As a general question to people, I found myself spending less on arcs than I ever did when the when beforehand. Because quite often I'd see a paint kit and then I'd say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll get that. But I've you know, I've got my quote of arcs I bought when they first came out, and I just haven't used them. I don't know if anyone else is the same. Um, you know what? I do. I, I will admit, uh, uh, I do have quite a lot of arcs in my account, but I'm not spending them. I, I don't know why. I, I, before, I, I was ship kits and stuff left, right, and centre. But now, since arcs have come in, I bought a whole lot of arcs, but not spent any, which is weird. Kai, you were going to say something? Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, this brings me back. Well, as far as just to answer that last point that you said, you've bought a whole lot of arcs, but you haven't really been spending any. Honestly, let's look at the fact that the last ships that were introduced to the game were something on the order of 15 months ago when they dropped the Mamba and the Crate Phantom, to, or, or sorry, yeah, the Crate Phantom together. The fact of the matter is, is most of the time when you're looking to buy a new ship kit or to buy a new uh paint job or whatever a lot of times that's tied to the new toy that you just have now for new players there's a whole range of new toys that they unlock as they build up their bankroll and get into different things and and whatever but for for uh, the older players the people that are sort of you know triple elite and have all their stuff and have billions in the bank or whatever <clears throat> we're not going to I think we're gonna, we're about to see a flush of of spending on arcs coming in the next week or two when people spend money on carrier kits or whatever. But there's not really much for us to spend on just at the moment. I feel like we're going to see a lot more arc spending 
when next era drops and they put in more ships and whatnot. So how Although there was a room. Oh, go on, Sean. You first. I was going to ask <coughs> I asked the question how many arcs do you think a carrier ship kit should be? Because I think the standard ones are around about 13,000, aren't they? When, they? when they first come out. I'm just wondering how much do we think, I don't know, carrier could be, should be 26,000 arcs? Or, say, oh. or what, how should they well, price? Well, you see, this I, is the thing. You have to do the conversion, don't you? I submit to you that we will find out in a week. <laughs> um, I would say this, and, and just real quick to, to, to harken back to the David Braben interview, a thing that, that really makes me love that man is through the whole interview that he did, he was uh, super like relaxed and smiley and happy. And the one time that he had a negative look on his face was when they asked him, hey, what what are the things in the game industry that you don't enjoy or whatever and he specifically called out the aspect that a lot of sort of free-to-play games have where they lock content or lock like your next move or your next whatever to you know buy tokens buy something in order for gameplay and he had a face that looked like he had just sucked on a lemon he had a face that was very zermina torval and I love the fact that despite all of the memers and all of the jokesters out there that are constantly saying like Oh, you need fuel for your fleet carrier? Buy arcs. Oh, you want this? Buy arcs. You want a base? You want space leg? Buy arcs. You could, anyone who watched that video, that interview, can tell you that is not a man who is looking to put those mechanics in the game. I think arcs are firmly, like, there's no question. It's, it's aesthetics only, and I love that about Elite. Ben. Completely agree with you there, Kai, and I think. Come new era, we're gonna. Yes, you're gonna get some people buying arcs and spending arcs on fleet carriers. I'm sure there's gonna be different skins or paint jobs on them. I think the the big rush is gonna be with new era, where all of a sudden we're gonna get a shit ton of clothing we can wear. Possibly, you know, whether it's gonna be just out complete outfits as a oneer. Or maybe be, do some mix and match. Maybe you'll go off and be able to visit a virtual shoe shop. Who knows? But also, I'm sure you'll be able to get upgrades to your room, to your ship, to your base. All all cosmetic, but all with arc. I mean, I'm probably... Uh, this is just a guesstimate. I think you're probably looking at about 9,000 arcs for maybe a skin... For a fleet carrier, which will be a, probably about a five, a fiver. And if they ever do come out with ship kits, I'm expecting that to be a lot more, maybe twelve. I mean, does that how does that sound to everybody? Well, to me, it, it sounds like nothing I'll do um, because um, <laughs> I've I've never bought anything from uh, from the frontier store in relation to cosmetic upgrades. Um, the 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 free stuff that you know obviously um at different times i've uh, i've got but um yeah no I, i've never really gone for any kind of paid content in terms of my my gameplay so it's not something i've i've ever been involved uh in experiencing or, or part of and that's that's my choice you know it's not it's not something i i kind of preach about if you see what i mean see what i mean but to, to just go back to kai's point in relation to david braben when we interviewed him down at um, Tobacco Dock for BAFTA Games, 
Chris Jarvis asked a question of him at the time about what games he was playing. And, you know, I'm stood there as part of the interview and I was thinking, ah, yeah, he's not playing games. He's, you know, he's, he, no, he's not. And he reeled off a list and it, it surprised the hell out of me, you know, which was great. You know, he really does have, you know, a kind of connected um sense of you know of gameplay and you know and that that was lovely to hear you know it was lovely to to see certainly that chris when chris is playing stuff chris is thinking of the mechanics of things chris quite enjoys games and then he thinks about why he enjoys it and you know and stuff and they they did they had a sort of three or four minutes and i mean we've still got that interview on the site somewhere but it was three or four minutes of kind of bonding of of those kind of fierce joys that players have and um yeah he's he's definitely of of that ilk um when he talked about you know misbehaving in elite um occasionally getting shot down by people and you know and and i'll get him next time and that kind of thing he was you know he was he was quite genuinely uh, sort of fiercely engaged in in that and it was lovely to see so yeah there's certainly certainly that element i i do think he has a bit of a more cerebral side in terms of, you know, his his brand um, and his trademark, and you know, and, and and Frontier. He's very protective of Frontier, and you know, and, and in terms of the decisions that they've made and everything else. But there's certainly a there's a twinkle there when it comes to gameplay. Which I'm, I think we're all pretty glad there still is, to be honest. After after thirty years in the bit, you thought it would have hammered it out of him, but um, oh. What we're going to do is we're going to take an advert break and then we will come back with our main discussion topic. On the far side of the bubble, on the dark side of an airless moon, on the slightly more interesting side of a ravine, there lived the engineer. The engineer can make your lasers more powerful. Your engines speedier. And your gas tank really, really big. What do you want? I want fish. Wait, what? That's right, fish! Carp, char, chub, jack, loach, crabby, muckabate, prickleback, sole, snook, snake, tang, wahoo, wabagum, banjo, banga, snook, sole, shad, scat, come on by with the long nose cat, noodlefish, nibblefish, northern squaw, huma, huma, nuka, nuka, wapa, wapa. What about Swedish fish? Why the hell not? Thanks, mister. You're in the wrong commercial. Well, shit. Fish, because, you know, space. life, choose a ship, choose a career, choose a cargo, choose a fucking big ship. 
choose palladium gold and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol and ship insurance. Choose fixed interest, loan repayments. Choose a space station. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a paint job and hire purchase and a range of fucking colours. Choose decals, exploration and wondering where the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting in that chair, running mind-numbing, spirit-crushing trade routes, stuffing fucking junk food in your mouth. And choose rotting away at the end of it all, pissing your last in the void with no one out there to hear you bury or do anything as you drift away in cold space. Until some fucker comes along to steal your ship, your cargo and your clothes, leaving your bones floating out in space. Choose your future. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? I choose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got onion head? And welcome back. Now that we're all energised after that high impact advert, um, we're going to go on to our main discussion. Now, this is the reason we've got Kaizen with us today, is that uh, you've got a little experiment in the works, hopefully to help out trying to find this mysterious planet. Mm. Yes. Yes. So, um, just a little bit of background for everybody if if you've been hiding under a rock and no doubt i'll be corrected if i'm if i'm wrong on this um raxler is a mythical uh, folk tale fairy tale in elite dangerous that um has been an elite franchise since the very first game mentioned in the dark wheel novella uh, um the Dark Wheel itself is an, there is an organization in Shinatra Desra, which uh, calls itself the Dark Wheel, but whether or not they are the Dark Wheel is, is up in the air. Uh, but the Dark Wheel is connected with the search for Rack. Uh, but there's a bit of vagueness about whether or not they've found Raxler and keeping it quiet, or whether or not they're still. So, Kai, what's your plan? <laughs> yes, sir. So the plan is, um, in, in looking at Raxla, um, or the, the mystery of Raxla, we are over five years in of a bunch of, of commanders, many, many hundreds, if not thousands of commanders spending thousands, uh, commun- cumulatively or, or, or more hours searching for Raxla. And to my knowledge, we have got no closer to finding it than when we started. <clears throat> so I was looking at the whole issue and thinking, hmm, this is weird. Um, there are several statements on record, one of which was, uh, and, and, and I included both of these statements in the in the post on the forum that, that, that had it. One was that by David Braben saying, it's in the game and we know where it is. Um, the second... Uh, was by Michael Brooks saying, <clears throat> we're not going to give you clues, but we had to make it a little bit obvious just so people would kind of know what they're doing. And uh, so if it's obvious and it's in the game, 
then I'm thinking to myself, well, sort of, how come we haven't found it? Now, the, the, the lore of Raxla is that it's sort of supposed to be close to Earth, and the way that we, we know this um, is, is an indirect sort of piece of information that requires a small assumption, but a, a fairly safe one. And that's the fact that the first mention of Raxla was quite far back in the history of Earth, in the lore of Elite Dangerous. There was some uh, snippet of someone saying, like, oh, yeah, might as well go looking for Raxla while you're at it in, in like, many, many hundreds of years back to the point where um, we had just sort of um, started expanding and the bubble itself was only a handful of systems. It was, it was a very small bubble, uh, much smaller than it is today. So if it's theoretically somewhere fairly close to Seoul um, and w was first encountered early in the history of the lore of Elite Dangerous and Mr. Braben was telling the truth, which I absolutely believe he was when he said it's in the game and we know where it is. So it's saying, okay, it's not a thing that like they're going to add later. It exists. It's in the game now. And... Michael Brooks was telling the truth, which I absolutely believe he was, where he says it's we had to make this clue sort of obvious. The clue, to me, the obvious thing, and I, I could be wrong, but the one thing that jumps out to you in any sort of beginning of looking into the lore of the Dark Wheel, or sorry, Raxla, is the Dark Wheel. They were a group that were hunting for Raxla. They were searching for it. There was another unnamed group of pilots that were elite pilots that were exploiting the Dark Wheel already. And that group was murdering members of the Dark Wheel who were getting too close to finding Raxla. So there's a weird sort of bias in Western literature where whenever you say, you know, the Dark Wheel or the Dark something, it kind of, you think, oh, they're the baddies because they're dark. They've got the dark hat. They've got the black cowboy hat and they have to be stopped. No, in this case, dark refers to stealth. They were, they were, they were trying to stay hidden because they were being hunted as they were searching for the secret of Raxla. So I think that's a fairly good primer for like the, the initial. So with all of that, I thought, well, what if the reason why nobody's found it, if it's close to earth, if it's sort of obvious, if it's whatever, whatever, how come nobody's found it? Maybe there is some lock that says like, you have to do other things to find it, but you can't even really start on the journey until after you've done something which triggers something. And if the obvious thing that we're looking at here, the obvious clue, and if anyone has another idea of what they think the obvious clue should be, I'm definitely happy to hear it. But I think if the obvious clue is the dark wheel, maybe, just maybe, the, the, we're supposed to do something with the dark wheel, like expand the dark wheel or whatever. Many, many people have, on, as a solo measure, have, have gotten to max allied with the dark wheel and run missions with them till they're blue in the face. That's produced nothing. What if we as a massive group sort of have to grow the dark wheel and either grow it to above a certain number? Like maybe there's a trigger that once the dark wheel gets above 10 systems or 20 systems or 30 systems, they will now issue a permit. They'll, 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 in Shinrata Desra, they'll suddenly have a mission which issues a permit, which then lets you access, you know, there are plenty of planets and systems and even whole regions that are permit locked and with those permit locks there's the ones that we know how to access and the ones we don't know how to access and a lot of times people just say these are the ones you can get and these are the ones that are impossible to get and i challenge that statement because it's not 
for sure, we don't know that it's impossible to get the permits to any of those places. We just know that we don't know how to do it yet. So maybe if we do something with the dark wheel, either tied to growing it past a certain point or growing it towards key targeted locations that are sort of central to the lore and, and, and sort of mystery of Raxlin in and of itself, maybe something will happen and we'll say like, okay, now a permit unlocks, now you can do a thing, and then people can go off and sort of search solo or whatever. But that's, that's sort of, I think it, that explains most of it well. Alan, did you have, I, I know we're, we're so lucky to have you here. Did you have something you wanted to hop in with on this? Yeah, okay. So um, there's, a few, there's a few things here that we can probably kind of try to, to go through. And, and you know, uh, first of all, um, I, I, I echo the comment I made earlier in relation to some of the other content that's in game and about yeah, sandbox games in general, where when players come up with an initiative, when they decide to go and do something, that's actually that's the lifeblood of a sandbox game. And so... Um, starting starting an initiative to to do something like this, I think, is a is a great thing. You know, it, whether it's whether it succeeds or whether it doesn't succeed, um, sometimes the journey is better than the the end product, and you know, and that's that's definitely something that um, you know that you you find people, you bond with people, you spend time in an adventure with people. You know, that's that's always good stuff. So I think there's a few fundamental things here that we we kind of got to we're in a game now where we're we're seven years on six years on um and there are a lot of things that have happened and a lot of things that not necessarily information that's lost but context that are, are lost and certainly if we go all the way back and if you go if we're going to talk about the dark wheel as a as a novella if we go all the way back then actually there are some interesting disconnects that can kind of inform a little bit of uh, of what we're talking about here so for for the first point and going all the way back right to you know the point when the the novella was being written and when elite was being produced robert holstock as a writer was regarded generally by critics of his work as being a bit of a failed science fiction writer and actually a really good fantasy writer he is He's most renowned outside of the elite community. He's most renowned for a series of books beginning with Mythago Wood. And he's also known for The Ragthorn, uh, which was a novella that he wrote. Both of those books are award-winning, internationally award-winning, and they're fantastic books. Um, he's regarded as being one of, the, one of Britain's greatest fantasists, one of Britain's greatest mythologists. And the nature of mythology and writing is not about it's not about gods and and deities and magic and these things it's about creating myths things that perpetuate and that you never really find the answer to and that when you read a book you go to bed at night and you still speculate as to what the context is and so actually it's probably the greatest possible eulogy to robert holstock that people are still looking for the dark wheel because of the fact that he wrote that into what was there and he's regarded, you know, and, and I've read papers on Robert Holstock from academics in Eastern Europe, from academics all across the world. He's regarded as being this amazing mythologist, this person who, who questions in your head 
and makes you you speculate late at night when you've woken up after reading something he wrote. You go, oh, I wonder if. And you know, frankly, you know, if if and I, this isn't this isn't meant as a criticism, but the Dark Wheel is not the best of his writing. You know, honestly, you know, the Ragthorn is an amazing short piece of fiction, and it's it's a it, you know it, it's sort of a slightly uh, comic pun. Uh, on religion, you know, it's, it's actually it's got got this this lovely twist at the end, which is is fantastic. But um, it, it certainly, to my mind, at least in one sense, it is a wonderful tribute to Robert Holstock that anybody is looking for for something relating to the Dark Wheel and Raxler now uh, because of what's there. So so that was that was my first point. But I don't want to dominate this. Um, there are, there are a few other things that uh, that I can kind of point out and um and give a little bit of direction on um to start with when we were writing all of the you know the content and the law uh back way back way back when i was breaking my couch um there were certain areas where we weren't we weren't necessarily those of us that had come in to help we weren't necessarily involved there were ring fenced areas and one of the areas that was known very early on was that michael brooks was writing the spiritual successor to the dark wheel and so essentially in the writing group we had our own forum on the on the the forums as as things were in the writing group we basically we were given the indication that we should try to avoid content that was related to the themes of the dark wheel now there were one or two writers who had sort of exceptions to that because they were writing stuff that was specific to particular things t james was writing um you know a story on the Thargoids. So he was sort of co-opted in to, to work on the Thargoids guidebook and to work on the, the stuff to do with that. Um, but we very much, you know, I, my, my work was, was pretty much on the, the kind of the big bits, you know, the what's the Empire, what's the Federation, what's the Alliance, how do these things work, and, you know, let's update the history and make it, make it a bit more coherent and, and fit it all together. Um, so what we assumed was that Michael was writing something that was very closely tied to the Alex Ryder story and that he was going to essentially update it and port it. Um, and what we got with Elite Legacy was not that. It was a spiritual successor. It was, it was much looser. And certainly since that point, the, the thing that you've noticed from different fiction writers um, who are choosing to, you know, to continue being associated with the franchise, different fiction writers are, are kind of feeling a bit more around the edges of some of the accepted law. Um, I certainly, when I was doing the later stories for EDRPG, um, because we then knew what Michael wasn't writing about, we had a little bit more freedom to, to add a little bit of speculation and sort of add a little bit of, uh, of information about, you know, things I was interested in and other people had the same. Um, the, but always, the key thing, and you know, and I, I think about this as a as a writer looking at what is being said. A lot of the key questions are always bounced back. They the information doesn't come back. What happens instead is that um, the the story is perpetuated. So if you ask a key question, if you say, "Oh, do you have the answer to such and such?" then actually the question's reflected back. And that's, you know, that's, that's intelligent. It's, you know, it's Wizard of Oz style. It's pay no attention to the guy behind the curtain. You know, you want the performance to be important. And actually sometimes when you see behind the curtain, it ain't as good as you think it is. You know, the answer ain't as good as, as what you, you imagined in your own head. So this kind of relates back and 
here will be the the last point I I make on this specifically here, and then we'll, we'll obviously we'll move the discussion on. And I'm quite happy to answer anything as we go. But one of the things I did when um, I wrote a game many many years ago, and this was a live game, uh, live role playing game, is I had a great mythology and a great sort of idea of what the the world myth was for this game. But what I used to do on a Saturday night when we were in the scout camps and we had you know eighty to to two hundred people at these events. They would get around the campfire and share their war stories, and they'd be playing orcs, elves, humans, uh, beastmen, etc., etc. They'd be playing all these different characters, and they'd share their war stories, and they'd speculate on the things that they knew. And I used to sit in those campfires, and I used to just listen, because more often than not, the things that they were coming up with were better than the ideas I had. And that's the key thing here, is actually, I guess I'm not, I'm not going Kevin Costner on you here, and field of dreams but i am saying to you actually sometimes these initiatives are worth it because what they do is they make the people who have the you know who are at the gate you know and um and have a few of the keys they make those individuals start to think actually players are interested we know our player base is interested maybe we need to do something about that um and that's not necessarily fan service you know that's that's actually just demonstrating that there is a you know that there is a genuine interest in this this particular thing so it is nice to see that and you know i do hope that actually some answers do come from from any kind of initiated exploration um you know i i'm not necessarily sure that this particular idea is is, is quite right you know um particularly given that soul didn't you know it wasn't a feature of holstock's novel but then again you don't really have very many places that were a feature of Holstock's novels to be able to, to work off of anyway. Um, so, so it's a tricky one. But um, yeah, you know, it is certainly something I would support in terms of being positive about trying to generate interest and to, you know, to follow some of the fiction and follow some of the roots. And certainly, you know, if I can uh, dredge up anything out of my old head that helps, then I'm more than happy to. Okay, Kai. <laughs> Uh, what do you want to well, that, that was that was an awesome answer on on many many points. I will say this, Alan. I guarantee you that this project will be a success, and here's how I guarantee it: because we're just trying to run an experiment, and if we get answer A or answer B on any of this, all of these things are fixed. Are, are are basically there's two options: either it works and something happens, or it doesn't work and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. either of those answers is a success to us because it's just an experiment. If we check all of the phases of this project and every one, the answer is, nope, nothing happens. That is still a success because we have now taken the hypothesis, advanced it to a test and gotten an answer. And yeah. in addition to that, hopefully, maybe it may be, Maybe one of these gives us an answer because the probability of each of these is that it will not yield a direct result. If I had, to, if you said for each step of the way, would you bet five hundred dollars that this does something or doesn't do something? My answer would be on all of them. I bet that it does not do something because that's where the higher probability is. But we may be surprised. That's the whole point of running the experiment. Also, there's a chance, as you so so correctly just stated there's a chance that a massive amount of people doing a thing gets some attention from frontier and makes them say hmm all right 
maybe not necessarily saying that they'll go real quick as busy little beavers and give us an answer or give us a, like, okay, well, we made it there. You found Raxlip, but more from the aspect of on the back end, they're like, hmm, the natives seem to want more of that when we're allocating the next round of man hours and, and dollars and whatever, maybe we should put a few, put a few pounds in the budget towards throwing a couple guys in a room and figuring out a thing that could lead to the start of something. I don't think, I don't think we're going to find Raxla as a fully fledged, at least as the theory or the, the speculation is that, you know, it's a, it's a gateway to another dimension or another galaxy. I don't think that we will find that per se until frontier is at the point where they're they've decided they're ready to do that and i think that would probably be more tied to either one of two things either a major update a major content update that is sort of designed around that or when they sunset the game eventually five years from now 10 years from now 15 years from now whenever so but but that doesn't mean that they couldn't say okay, we've thrown in a thing. I, I would very much love to find Raxla at some point, and literally it's just, there's a planet, there's a big fuck-off Stargate that you could fly a, a cutter through, but it's turned off. It does nothing. You have to now start a year or two or five-year-long set of chain of mysteries and, and events and, and quests and whatever to get all the pieces together to make it do something. Okay, Shant quickly yeah i was uh, on the subject of finding raxler i'm of the view i hope we never do because <laughs> well firstly there's the there's a realistic part of me that says it doesn't matter what it is it won't meet our expectations and secondly so you know it, it'll, it'll end on anticlimax and secondly you have to ask yourself why are such why are legends in you know in 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 our, in our lives so enduring? So let's say, for example, we really found Camelot or Avalon. Let's say we really found Avalon, or we found um, the body of Robin Hood, or we knew it was Robin Hood, and he was I don't know five foot one and overweight or something like that. It just wouldn't have that same mythos if we knew what it was. So in this case, the search for Raxler is, I believe, more engaging and more interesting than actually finding it. Okay, okay. so, all right, there's there's a little bit here that I've managed to dredge up in my memory. Um, and actually, it's something Kai just said that, that kind of reminded me about one specific conversation that was had. When we were talking about the plot, and this was prior to the Stellar Forge being created, um, we were talking about the prototype plot of the galaxy and how the galaxy was, you know, was going to be created in game, in terms of what they were doing. Um, and there, when there was during that conversation, there was some discussion about galactic arms, and there was some discussion about uh, mapping all of the galaxy, and there was some discussion about dark systems. There was some discussion about uh, beyond the existing, uh, you know, sort of mapped galaxy, etc., etc., etc. Now, it was not discussed in a context in relation to Raxler. We did not have a discussion in relation to Raxler, and I will, you know, I'll make that that perfectly clear. There was some, you know, occasional, well, well, what about? And and then, you know, you would get silence because that wasn't the area we were working in, and that wasn't what we were we were doing. But it was discussed in relation to the Thargoids 
Um, and it was discussed in relation to, you know, to sort of areas that the Thargoids would populate in terms of their space. Now, um, whether that became what they decided to do or not, I have no idea. Um, but there was an initial discussion in relation to plotting where things were in the galaxy. Um, so there is a, you know, there is an indication there. Now, the the other thing I would say, and I will just just be careful here to to say this, and this isn't a criticism, it is an observation. There are two key premises that that Kai that you're accepting. One is that Michael Brooks was not telling the truth. It's probably the wrong way of putting it. Um, that Michael Brooks was accurate in the information that he delivered. You know, sometimes between design and, and implementation, there might be there might be difference. And the other is the same with with David Braben because actually, you know, you can hide stuff somewhere, um, and you know, uh, that's fine. Or you can just say it's there. And if, if you've got a big enough space, you know, people will hunt and hunt and hunt. And we've alluded to in some of the conversation that we've we've had here that actually people used to hunt in, you know, in the, the old games. And prior to the internet, you know, when you had Elite, I mean, I used to play Elite and I, I used to, wouldn't it be cool if the ships that are coming towards me were actually other players, you know? Well, we're all plugged into to a, a power network so that could be a network and they I, they could be playing that could be a person you know i used to, to have those kind of daydreams and that was part of the the kind of charm and appeal of the game um but the point was that you would occasionally get these rumors go around that something was there that somebody had found something that you know that they could if you kept going this way far enough you would find this if you did this for long enough you would find this you know um ready player one obviously gives us the, the the complete idea of, of of Easter eggs and from their inception to you know to how a vast array of game designers put them into to different things. And there were continually rumors about Elite having more than what you thought. And of course, I, I don't know about you guys, but um, I think at some point I ended up with buying a game genie, which was one of those hex that you could kind of do stuff with on Elite. Yeah. Um, which would would you know automatically jump you into which base or would bring down the shields on a space station to allow you to blow it up with a missile you know mm. stuff like that and it didn't have any lasting effect in terms of what was there but it was interesting to note that actually some of that programming was in the game and now you know i i, I kind of lose a little bit of enthusiasm for computer gaming every time i see somebody you know taking the code apart and trying to find the hidden bits and the you know the stuff and and one of the things we did discuss in in design was trying to make sure that the game was not a playground between two wikis i.e. a wiki that the design team had and a wiki that the players would develop and i you know i genuinely appreciate the tools that that people put together um you know in terms of collating information and sharing information and creating communities but you do also have to accept that sometimes those tools um, are ways to to further you know your progress without actually having to make the progress for yourself. And there's certainly there's a good means test for Frontier with regards to the Thargoid encounter. The first time that Thargoid encounter happened, the video went everywhere. You know, loads of people loved it. They were sharing it. The BBC reported on it. You know, bless Roy Kathleen Jones loves his loves his elite. Um, and, uh, you know, all these different people were obviously reporting, look, look, this new content, look, this thing. 
and then it, it gradually lost its luster when more and more people, you know, experienced it and, you know, explored the parameters of it and so on and so forth. And actually, the key thing with Raxler is if they're going to do it, you've got to find a way to do it so it isn't one person's um, Indiana Jones moment and everybody else's um, Colin the Librarian moment. No offense, Colin. Um, you know, in terms of, of what's there. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take that under advisement. Guy. Yeah, Colin's going to come after you and say, don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? Uh, but no, uh, with regard to, to what all that you just said, I think that's, that's, that's awesome. And, and the part about it not just being one person's whatever, I, I, I'll be honest, Ready Player One, there's actually a couple of key things from Ready Player One that were in my mind at the time that sort of this idea was rattling around. One of which was <clears throat> the fact that, you know, and, and no spoilers, I, everyone should definitely go, go read that book. It's an, it's an awesome book. Um, one of the uh, um, sort of key factors or whatever is that at, at one point there's a sort of a mystery or, or a task that someone is trying to unlock and they're trying to do it by themselves and they get nowhere and they just will never get anywhere because as the protagonist finds out and, 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 and shares with his friends, it requires a group. It was designed such that it, it, it requires, it's one of those, it takes a village type situations where the designer of the game very, very significantly and very sort of intentionally made it such that it required a group effort. And that is a, a, a part of the sort of thing that, that made me think about this. The other, the other thing with regard to the, the, uh, the, the Ready Player One is that, like Ready Player One, if, if this uh, project unlocks any step that, that doesn't, do, doesn't give us Raxla, it literally leaves us to the point where it's like, hey man, we just unlocked some permit to something, or some Darkfield just gave out some new mission that now gives out a reward of an item or or a thing that we don't know how to use or we don't we don't know what it is and, and now we're left like, huh, alright, now what? That I feel like will sort of be like when Parzival finds the first key. It will because in, in that in that in that book, sort of uh the, the the egg hunt had been going on already for over five years and everybody had given up hope and were told that the, the hunters, the egg hunters they told the Gunters, like, you guys are being dumb. You're wasting your life. It's not even a thing. You're, it's it's a, such a waste. And I think that that's the way a lot of people feel about Raxla. And if we can turn over some rock which just provides proof that there is some aspect of something new that we didn't already know of, even if it's not Raxla itself, even if it's just a thing that we go, okay, now what? I hope that this will inspire other people to say, see... There's something out there. There's more out there that we can find if we just try new and interesting adventures. And in a situation where, you know, fleet carriers are coming out and people are some, there are people that are making the criticism of this game. There's nothing for non-billionaires to get excited over. I say this is the greatest sandbox that I can ever remember having access to. Grab a shovel, come up with a plan, get some friends together and do something fun. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, so what? Had fun. It's a video game. It's designed to be a waste of time. I think. I think as well. Just yeah. to kind of connect that, and you know, and I think there are a couple of things that, that are worth considering in relation to you know to instigating a quest in in that regard. 
Um, it's worth bearing in mind the priorities of the company, um, and I know that's that's not it's not within the fiction of of what we're talking about here. But it is worth just at least having a, a little bit of a sense of of the company's priorities in terms of, of what's there. I I'd said the the kind of thing in relation to build it and they will come, but also there is a priority for the design to not be a one-hit wonder design, not to be one person's grab of the crown jewels. And that has happened. You know, we have seen moments occur within game where one individual has managed to achieve something. And essentially, it kind of renders, after that individual has had that experience, that it renders that, that experience slightly less. Um, and so there's actually there's a way in which we as as players, and I count myself in that that regard, despite the fact that I'm still flying around in a Cobra Mark III, um, we as players we have a um, we have a way in which we can consider that if we are proving or we are structuring our initiative to involve as many people as possible and to recognize as many people as possible to kind of make name plaques for as many people as possible in terms of, you know, giving them, you know, rewarding their status, rewarding their achievement, rewarding what they're, they're managing to do, rather than it being one person's victory, it being hundreds of people's victories, you know, um, all small victories leading to, a, to an eventual goal. If there is that kind of um, positive community embrace, then actually that gets people's attention. And I think that that's something in terms of, you know, maybe Frontiers team, maybe someone, some other team, you know, it would get their attention in terms of what's there. And also, I, I think, you know, just having said that as the positive, then the, uh, the, the little bit of stick. Um, generally, having a nostalgic view of game design in that there is there is something you know I think Ready Player One paints a nostalgic view of game design in that you know this this amazing architect built something and he left it hidden for all these years and then suddenly somebody found it. Generally, it ain't like that. Generally, um, the people who are you know who are behind the curtain are one step ahead if they're lucky, and if they're one step ahead, then um, you know then then you know good well well done to them. I mean there were one or two things when we were designing Phoenix Point. You know, we put into what was there. We knew that you know that they were things that we could we could work on later, and we you know if we were given an opportunity, there were things we could improve on, and we could we could talk about and reveal a, a you know great secret. And it took us three years to put all the stuff in there. You know, I spent three years writing about a global pandemic taking over the world. Who knew? Um, finished in t at the end of two thousand and nineteen. You know, uh, I don't know what was going on there, but the um, we're not crab people yet, so we're all lucky. But the, the point here is that actually, if the game designers are only one step ahead, that means they're reactive. So it's an advantage. You know, it, it's a disadvantage in one respect. You know, it doesn't have that nostalgic view, but it's an advantage in that if you start doing something, they can, they can react. They can go, oh, actually, we've got a, a ton of people here. We've, you know, they're really up for this. We, we, you know, this is the biggest thing we've seen in a while. This is really causing lots of gameplay. All the stuff on our servers are saying people are going here, doing this. They're involved in this. You know, we really need to start doing something and shaping our content towards the things that they're doing in terms of their behavior. As soon as you start to get in that direction, then actually it gives you a chance. And whether it doesn't matter whether people had planned it beforehand or they hadn't planned it beforehand, you know, 
if if that that statement all those years ago of yes, Raxler's in the game is true or false, it actually doesn't matter. It matters when the when the quest happens, and it matters at the moment of discovery. No one cares if you know if you find it and it was there all along, or they actually slipped it in a line of code, you know, two weeks before it was found. You know, no one cares because actually the you know the journey and the the build towards it and the the community effort is the thing that's more important. Sure. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say I, I, I agree with, with with Alan here. I mean, the picture he paints, where if you like, it's a a communal achievement. Um, I, I think would be great. However, then the realism Shan kicks in and says, actually, it's going to be the first person who posts it up on Reddit that gets the credit for it, not all the other minuscule bits of jumps forward. Together. And if you think about all the inventions that we, we know of, someone got there first and did put them all together. But before that, there was thousands of little steps that got us there. And you know, no one remembers the guy who came second or did this. And so as much as I, I, I love the picture Alan painted, there's that realism view that, yeah, the first person who puts a racks on Reddit is going to get credit with discovering it, regardless of what the journey was. Well, actually, surely the first person who actually gets their name tagged against the system and the station will be the first person. Because if it's in-game, that's them. Um, okay, we'll go with Kai first, and then... Oh, Alan first. I was, ju- I was just going to say that, actually, that's about the design of, of the journey. You know, that's in the hands of the players to a point. If there is enough goodwill in popularising every little thing that people do, if it becomes a cultural habit to um, to talk about the amazing thing that someone did to check out this, the amazing thing that the next person did to check out this, if someone acts as a curator, um, and I'm not necessarily saying one person needs to do that, but if there is, you know, gradually a culture develops around players to to pull together every every celebrated moment. Um, to to give everyone a, a kind of moment of basking in the sun, and that's that's you know that's something you can do. And actually, there's a project I'm involved in at the moment that has a little bit of this. So um, about two weeks ago, um, I, I published a book back in 2013 before I um, or 2012, late 2012, early 2013, just before I got involved with working um, with Frontier at all, um, and that was the sort of Wissamere and. Um, there is this international initiative run by a very, very well-known author called Mark Lawrence, who, what he does is he does this thing called the self-published fantasy blog-off. And it runs for about 11 months. And what it does is it recruits 300 books of self-published fantasy and gets them all into a list. And then it farms them all out to a variety of reviewing websites. And these reviewing websites go through 30 each and then once they've gone through 30, they get to choose one to go to the final. And then the final 10 are then judged by all the other websites. And there's one winner. Now, the thing is, is that there's 300 books in this. But because it's so diagrammatically broke down to all these different reviewers, pretty much, and I'm, you know, we're at the early stages here, you know, it's, it's only been a week or so. But pretty much all of the books get a little bit of time in the sun. Somebody will have reviewed your book, you know, because you're participating there will be a moment where somebody will have posted a review of your book. And for me, with a book that's seven years old 
that never really reached the audience that I'd hoped it would reach. Um, it's an opportunity for it to, to do that. So I, you know, I just kind of went, oh, actually, the deadline's tomorrow. Okay, I'll, I'll just throw it in. So, you know, whether it comes off or not, you know, I'm obviously I'm writing science fiction now at the moment. I might go back to fantasy at some point. But the key thing here is that actually, for me, I'm coming at it with, you know, quite a, a, an old repertoire. Someone else will be coming with their first book. Someone else will be coming, you know, with something that, you know, just missed out on getting a publishing deal and they, you know, they did this and they want some kind of validation for whether it's good or it's not. You know, there's a vast array of different stories from all those different walks of life coming to this place. And 300 people get a little bit of, of kind of time to shine. You can map that model into a player initiative like this. If people have the opportunity to kind of uh, gain some renown in relation to, to achieving something in this, so disproving something, going somewhere, you know, um, collating more data, flying more missions, et cetera, et cetera, then you have an opportunity to, you know, to kind of celebrate being a player of Elite Dangerous. Excellent. We should also point out, Alan, that um, there is a Sagittarius Eye article that you've, what you have wrote, to, to <laughs> quote Ernie Wise, um, and that's in um, uh, issue, issue 17. Seven. Yeah, issue yeah. 17. Okay, so this is really interesting. It's, it's a shame, really, that Sue's not on here, because Sue could, could probably go into some of the detail of this. But um, it was actually, it was originally written by, it was co-written by me, because it was originally written by the other writer. Um, and what I did is I kind of took t some of the, the research and took some of the other elements, and I, I sort of went as far as I could go. And what I was talking about earlier, so if anybody wants to read it, it's page 59, page 58, page 59, page 60, page 61, 62, 63. So I took all of the elements I could find that were current in-game information, and I stretched them as far as I could go, because we knew that at that point in time that Liz Ryder was a character in-game. So what I did is I... Liz Ryder's responses to the Sagittarius I journalist are quite tactically written so that there is actually nothing revealed. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm obviously spoiling the article for anyone that's going to go and read it. But there is an artifice to this kind of writing. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, is that when you're perpetuating a mythology, there is an artifice to this kind of writing. You have to write within a restriction. And certainly when I wrote articles for Sagittarius I, I was trying very hard not to write outside of the original restrictions and the original parameters that were already there. I did quite a lot of expansions of, you know, of rare goods. You know, I did the, the rare goods commodities focus, which was always looking at what somebody had written in game and just embellishing it, you know, and just adding some words to it rather than promising anything, you know, just adding a kind of narrative spin to, to what was there. And this, this article kind of does that a little bit. And I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, kind of peel back the curtain and reveal the cogs and, you know, and the poor technician holding the, holding the props. But you do have to, when you start to see, as a writer, when you start to see people engaging with these, these kind of myths and elements of a shared fiction like this, you do have to see how the bounces work, right? If you want to investigate, you've got to kind of look into the detail and, and have that little bit of insight into, uh, into what's there. So yeah, it's a bit of fun. It's an article I wrote for Sagi. You know, it has some you know some beautiful artwork there. 
Um, and it has some lovely content from the original writer, and I, I just gave it a bit of a frame and a, and a context. But you, you, you know, you've got to see the the fact that it's a bit of fiction designed to entertain you, rather than you coming out and learning something. And probably by the end of that article, you, you, you know, now I've revealed all the details. You probably sit there going, "Oh man, I thought I was going to learn something, and actually I didn't." Oh, you know. <laughs> um, Kai, do you want to just quickly? jump in there and then we'll wrap this up after some final points sure uh i just wanted to say a, a quick thank you for everybody uh this I, I started this with a forum post um that forum post was friday morning and or friday afternoon your time and uh in 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 just the you know couple of days just over the weekend and and then monday and then today's tuesday um it's literally the original post has got like 70 some odd uh, likes to it. Um, there's 11 pages of notes of people hopping on and saying like, I'm on board this, you know, like this sounds awesome. Other people with criticisms or decisions like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Um, but for the most part, it's been very, very, very positive. Um, I've got, in the last, you know, three days, oh, over 300 people have joined the Discord. People are going into the Turning the Wheel channel and or, or room, rather, and looking at the different channels there where they can, there's a FAQ, there's Standing Orders, which is like, this is what we're working on now. There's a Mission Overview. Um, so many groups from, you know, the Hull Seals to the AXI to... Uh, just so many, 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 many groups. They're all listed and logos are up there and, and whatnot have, have said like, yeah, we're, we're in, we're excited. And, and that is fantastic. Uh, so it's been a very, very positive project. And the, the fact of the matter is, is it's something fun we can do while we're sitting around waiting for next era. And a lot of people seem to like that. So I wanted to say thank you for that. And with regard to, um, you know, the, the media coverage on this has been crazy. Like, you guys asked me to come on. I was on guard. You know, they were talking about it on guard frequency. They're doing stories on it for, for Hutton. Uh, they, they talked about it on Loose Screws. They talked about it. I was on the broadcast just the other day. Uh, Obsidian Ant just released a video about it. It was on Witchbase News for, for Burr Pit. And it's on Down to the Astronomy's Astro. Uh, Hello, Dave, whatever. It's sort of caught on and, and a lot of people are excited by it. And I hope that if it's something that sounds interesting and exciting to you, that you will come to the forum post and check it out or go to the elite week discord. Uh, if you look up elite week in, in YouTube, you can see uh, the YouTube channel. And then that has the, all the videos have the link to the discord. Uh, if it sounds like it's something that you want to try, come check it out and hopefully you can have some fun with us and maybe we make history. And if not, we make some fun over the summer, you know? Okay, and uh, we'll, we'll give the, la the last point to Alan <laughs> before we hit community news. So, um, yeah, I, I just want to, to kind of congratulate Kai on what he's done here in, in terms of sort of putting this together. And I think, you know, what you're saying there is it, it demonstrates that this is, this is in the best traditions of the kind of player community around Elite Dangerous, which is it's an incredibly generous community. And we've we've known that for years, you know, having run LaveCon for the amount of time that we've run it, doing all the different stuff that we've done, the best of the elite community is when it, it is of generous spirit. 
I would just say one one small piece of advice. Do just watch out carefully for the occasional person who is is not is kind of is self-serving in terms of the way in which they engage with that generous spirit. Um, now it's fine that you know some people have got their own their own objectives and agendas in terms of what they're doing, and that's that's totally fine. It's just to be aware of that. Um, you know. I, having spent an awful long time in the um, in the elite dangerous community over a number of years, spending time when I've I've been very involved, spending time when I've not been very involved, having moments when you know stuff's been cool and having moments when stuff's been a bit rubbish, the the it has always come back to me that actually when you find the people who are just genuinely generous in terms of what they're doing, the things that they're bringing, the things that they you know the stuff that they've done then those are the best possible people you can ever find. And I've made some of the most amazing friends in my life in relation to, to that. You know, I still I still hang out with them. I hang out with you lot, you know, for, for, for one thing. But, yeah, I still, you know, I still hang around with, um, you know, with, with some of the people who have been that generous. But you do have to watch out for just those one or two who want it for their agenda. And actually, when that's the case, you just have to be aware of that and make sure that that doesn't distract from what you're actually trying to do which is a very generous community um, community journey. Right. Well, um, at the end of all that, uh, which it's it's nice to see Raxler actually getting back uh, getting back in uh, the consciousness of the of the game because it does feel that for quite a while it's hidden in the background. Um, but we'll move on to the community corner for the moment. Um, we're going to start off with Alec Turner, who is scaling the monolith brackets, the right stuff. He's put a YouTube video of himself, I do believe, in an SRV climbing what can be only affected, uh, can only described as a massive, oh no, Ben's going to go crazy, massive erection in, in mountain that is that is so tall and thin you don't know how the heck he got the he's climbing a lovely erection yes i thought you'd appreciate there you go colin you're happy now (laughs) so yeah we'll put a link to that in the show notes um i take it you've already seen alex effort then i loved how he just got about halfway up and then like nope denied and (laughs) plumped all the way down again Or I don't actually know how high up he got. I love how he didn't get to the top anyway. It was great. It was a great video, though. Excellent, um, Commander Beetle Jude, uh, her who does fantastic paintings, which we give away at length uh, for uh, charitable donations, uh, and semi winner of of a aforementioned competition, um, is doing a, a giveaway on the Twitch channel of Brother Sabiathus. Uh, uh, again, we'll put a link in the show notes so if anybody would like to watch that i think it's this um those i must admit the paintings are, are actually really good so uh <laughs> um also in other game news the code the uh, them them nasty pirates in the old worlds have started a campaign uh to uh, return ridquat to an anarchy city uh, for those of you who uh, fly around the old world, you'll know that um, Ridquat um, used to be uh, the place to go if you wanted to get combat practice in. Um, there is a tourist 
beacon there explaining why it's no longer the nasty place it was. Well, the code want to go revert it back to being nasty. So, <laughs> word of warning for all those people flying around Ridgequat at the moment. Uh, the biggest empires organization uh, on Squadron, Levain's Legion, has celebrated its fifth birthday. I think that this is one of the longest running player groups in the game. Uh, I, th I think it even predates the truckers by quite a while. So, um, in other news, we've got the latest Turgeon, and that's out at, that's up at 53. Um, this time, the Starstone twins continue their search for the galactic thief Lily Lavin, and they managed to catch the eye of an old rival back at the bubble. So, um, again, another YouTube video for people to peruse. Um, and on the subject of YouTube, um, Top Ship 121, where I had uh, an experiment with the fleet carriers. Um, uh, I put that up on YouTube. That went out last week. So, um, again, a link in the YouTube channel, uh, a link in the show notes if you want to go to that YouTube. Um, now, obviously, this year, um, due to COVID, LaveCon has been... Uh, and there's nothing we can do about that. But, uh, Alan, you've got some news about other LaveCon-related items. So, yes, okay, so essentially, owing to popular support and, uh, you know, the, the lovely people who who were due to be coming to the, this year's LaveCon, it does look like we're going to be running a virtual LaveCon over the, the LaveCon weekend. So that will that will take place at the weekend that we were going to have it on, which was uh, the start of July. Now, as part of that, if anybody wants to get involved in terms of um, developing content for it, we already have pretty pretty good show here, actually. And the, the, there's there's quite a lot of content that we're already speaking to people about, which is going to be incredible. And it's it's going to be kind of asynchronous, so there'll be stuff that you can you know that will happen at specific times, but there'll be other stuff you can dip in and dip out of uh, in terms of when you want to. But there are a couple of advantages of having it as a virtual event. It does mean we have access to a few more people, um, which might be quite interesting. So there are a few um, people who I happen to know who I've tried to persuade to come to LaveCon multiple times uh, who I'm probably going to try and tap up to, to provide a little bit of content, which I think would be lovely. And it'd be really nice and kind of give Elite Dangerous players some some access to some of the you know the wonderful things that that are going on within the game outside of the game with 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 different uh, different exciting writers but um in addition to that um we have the merchandising packs now karen would like to try and order those tomorrow um so she's saying that uh, the largest chance to order them is tonight now um it's probably that um uh karen will order them a little bit later in the day tomorrow. So if you, you happen to be, you know, getting up earlier in the morning, I think you'll probably beat her um, and you may be able to get one quickly. But the, the merchandise... Oh, pack... podcast listeners, tomorrow is the 3rd of June. Yes, yes. So tomorrow is the 3rd of June. So um, the £55 merchant pack um, includes a polo shirt. There is a £20 uh, for the polo shirt on its own, which is for the, this year's stuff. Uh, we're also including some other content in there. One of the things I'm working on right now, and Colin will be uh, will be like, oh, man, um, is a little Starships game, um, which is uh, each each person with a VIP pack 
gets a little collection of starships um, that will have their own profile cards, and uh, there's a, a set of rules as to how you duke it out with the other starships. Um, at the moment, the working title of this game is Privateers. Obviously, I'm not connected to any other franchise that might have a similar name back in the day. Um, but I'm, I'm currently I'm doing the, the prototype ships at the moment. I'm hoping to, to get them all filmed or rather photographed. And then we'll have some lovely photos on, on some nice little, little kind of Magic the Gathering style cards that um, allow you to kind of play the game with friends at the event or play it just with the three ships that you get in your pack. So yeah, there's, there's a nice little uh, virtual life compact we put together. There's some other goodies in there. Um, we've, we found every year we have a bit of tech in there. There's a piece of tech that we've, we've identified that we're going to put in, which is really cool. So yeah, so there's, there's, there's a few things there. Right. Uh, well, there we go. Um, so yeah, virtual live con a go. So, um, right. Well, on other news, we we have to give a shout out. Uh, we have to give a massive shout out to um, Ed's thirty eight, who are trying to reclaim Dunker's Rest in Oh, WNL. Is that about right? Yeah, WNL after Ed's Ed of Frontier ex community manager's dad's name. Oh, of course. Right. Um, do we have a video here from um, uh, Jack Little, I do believe? Yes, shall we play just now? Yes, please. All right, give me a quick second. I'm going to have to jump the sound on because I wasn't prepared beforehand, so I'm going to have to do it now. Um, but it will come on. Uh, there. In these uncertain times, now... More than ever, wise and caring commanders reach for their biscuits. But suppose there were no biscuits to reach for. That's the stark future awaiting us if we don't liberate Dunker's rest. Ed's 38 are here to help you help humanity. Because when you turn the only biscuit factory in the galaxy into a jail, you make prisoners of everyone. Free Dunker's rest. Free the biscuit. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Ah, quick there from quick update there from uh, Jack Little, who is a allegedly. How can he be a real boy if he's got a beard? <laughs> um. Okay, he's a, re a real man then. Okay, our sister station Hutton Orbital Radio it broadcasts on a Thursday at uh, eight. Uh, British summertime, uh, you can tune in at tv.fornamug.com or if you just want to listen to them, you can hear them all at radio.fornamug.com. For the discerning commander that likes a bit of CQC action, you can check out the CQC Discord at discord.me slash elite dangerous CQC. There's about four matches running even as I speak, which are... Um, <laughs> Which are worth trying out. Um, so, would like to thank everybody who's uh, chipped in in the Twitch chat and the in-game commanders that have been flying around. Uh, and also, I do believe we have following there's a uh, a Galnet news by Commander Wotherspoon. Definitely, yes. Well, yes, right. Well, with that, that's it for another episode.
episode of Lave Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email info at laveradio.com, hit us up at facebook.com slash laveradio, tweet us at laveradio. Uh, you, you can join our Discord server by going to discord.io slash laveradio. We have a TeamSpeak server where commanders come to chat, and you can find that at teamspeak.laveradio.com. Do get in touch with the show if you have any questions, or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in a future episode. Lave Radio is recorded live on a Tuesday evening at 8.30 British Summertime, and streamed out at laveradio.com slash live, and at twitch.tv slash laveradio. So, thanks to Kai, thanks to Alan, thanks to Ben, thanks to Shan, and thanks to Cal. And until next time, Commanders, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous. June 3306. We read the news so you don't have to. In this week's news, Raxler by brute force. Semi-reliable pillars. A resrian with ketchup. Hold the onion. A new Eden. Raxler by brute force. A major new initiative has started in an attempt to reveal the location of the mythical Raxler. Believed by some to be a stargate or a gateway to another universe, there are no substantiated facts about Raxler at all. However, the Raxler myth has been associated with the faction known as the Dark Wheel, and it is through the Dark Wheel that Raxler may finally be located. The theory goes 
that if we can assist the Dark Wheel to become a major power in the area around Shinrata and Seoul, then perhaps, somehow, some sort of clue to Raxler might be revealed. There are a number of sub-goals, including expanding into the permit-locked Seoul system, into Lave, into Robigo as the closest inhabited system to Polaris, and as a backstop, into a total of 50 or more systems, while minimising the impact to the factions already occupying these systems. This sort of rapid expansion could quickly make the Dark Wheel one of the most powerful factions in the galaxy. An impressive list of factions have signed up to help with the expansion efforts. The idea is that the Dark Wheel may be sufficiently impressed by all this hard work on their behalf that they will become willing to share their research into the mystery that is Raxler. Or perhaps they won't. Semi-reliable pillars. There have been many rumours surrounding Raxler. Two in particular are about a couple of statements made by Pilots Federation officials. One statement is from Commander David Braben, who, according to Commander Drew Wagar, said... It's out there, and we know where it is. Which suggests that Raxler, whatever it is, exists in some form, somewhere. And that the Pilots' Federation know more than they're letting on. Commander Wager has more recently misquoted his own account, saying that Braben claimed that Raxler actually existed in the galaxy. The other quote is by Commander Michael Brooks, who is rumoured to have said something like, Someone has been to the system Raxler is in. Three names have been given as authoritative sources for this. Commander Ascorbius, Commander Aidle Weiss, and Commander Souverain. Commander Ascorbius says he heard it with his own ears, at Lavecon, the one where crime and punishment changes were announced. That would have been Lavecon 3303. Commander Aidle Weiss also heard it with his own ears, but that was at one of the earlier Lavecons in either 3301 or 3302. Commander Souverine says he wasn't there, and did not, in fact, hear Commander Brooks say any such thing, but that he remembered hearing about Commander Braben's statement. Commander Michael Brooks, when approached for a comment today, said... Always, and no comment. Commander Alec Turner describes the people who sort of vaguely remember someone saying something as semi-reliable pillars of the community. He also believes he may know where to find Raxler. It's supposed to be a gateway to another universe or dimension, right? Well, if you press Escape, and look at the last option on the menu. Where do you think that takes you? Oresrian with ketchup. Hold the onion. Hollow 
Deputy Director and Pillar of the Community, Obsidian Ant, has been accused of cultural insensitivity after he suggested that fleet carriers could be used to barbecue Thargoids. A throwaway remark by Commander Sanderling about using his tinfoil hat to clean his barbecue apparently set the Video Supremo thinking. And what he thought was, in his own words, that the carrier's topside platform would function quite well as a barbecue. Spurred on by a gaggle of excitable hull seals, the famous auteur suggested angling the carrier towards a nearby star, pinning a Thargoid on top, and a short time later having a lovely meal of ammonia-based life-form with chitinous exoskeleton to enjoy. Of course, you always cook more than you can eat on a barbecue. Tharg the Mighty has expressed his dismay at the suggestion, pointing out that while it is true that baby Thargoids live their early lives by eating other life-forms like humans from the inside before escaping explosively through their chest, this is a natural part of the Thargoids' life cycle, whereas barbecues are not essential to human life, certainly not barbecues with Thargoids on top. Except, of course, in Australia. May Swallow of the galaxy's only fast food outlet specialising in reclaimed Thargoid meat products, McThargoids of Barnard Star, has threatened to sue. However, creative genius Ant remains unrepentant, pointing out that using fleet carriers as barbecues in this way would at least give them a worthwhile use. A New Eden One thousand two hundred and ninety years ago, in the year 2016, a group of scientists on Earth discovered what they believed to be a roughly Earth-sized rocky world orbiting Proxima Centauri. On Thursday, the 28th of May 2020, the existence of Eden was confirmed. The University of Geneva Espresso Spectrograph linked to the Very Large Telescope in Chile, confirmed the existence of what was at the time known as Proxima Centauri b, with a mass almost exactly the same as Earth, orbiting close to the cool Proxima Centauri red dwarf, with each year lasting only a few tens of days. It was less than a hundred years after that discovery before the first generation ships set off to colonise the galaxy. The name Eden was chosen to encourage colonists to travel to what turned out to be a not particularly hospitable planet. Nonetheless, a mining operation was established with an orbital transfer station, Hutton Orbital, used to ship out bulk goods and provide one of the earliest links in the network of trading posts that characterised the first steps in colonisation. Initially beset by the problem that it was quicker for trading ships to bypass Eden due to the year-long deceleration required, the decision by the Galactic Authorities to categorise Proxima Centauri as part of the Alpha Centauri system, something that it really is not, later meant that it was not possible to use the frameshift drive to travel directly to Eden. Now, however, at last... With the imminent release of fleet carriers which can jump directly to the Proxima Centauri system, the Hutton Orbital Truckers Cooperative is hopeful that Eden may finally become the galactic hub it has always been destined to be. 
And that's this week's Galnet News. Galnet News, we read the news so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> 